fuck it. Let's do it live. Let's do it live. Let's just go for it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Three Guys. Talk about F1. We're back. It is. It has just gone the 16th of November. We've, but a few short days ago, just had round 21, the second to last round. I believe that's called penultimate. Is that correct? I think so. I think so. Yeah. 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 The penultimate round of the uh, 2022 Formula One season at uh, Interlagos. Um, and now we're in a, a very short holding pattern before the the final, uh, literally holding pattern, because as David pointed out just off air before the podcast, we're flying all the F1 circus thousands and thousands of miles uh, to Abu Dhabi because, as David pointed out, that, that makes sense uh, for the climate, really. And all the sort of carbon targets that the F1 has in mind. Cost of living um, crisis. Cost of living crisis as well. But we have a few short days until the conclusion of the season, although it's not uh, too far gone to say the majority of the season has already been concluded. Um, very famously, with, without much of a bang at all at, at Japan a couple of races ago. Uh, but there's still some things to play for. There's still a couple of things on the table, and actually, this weekend kind of made made new things to take interest in for the final race. Um, some of which, some of which things will very likely um, linger on and have an effect and a ripple into the off season and into the start of the new season. So uh, there is definitely a lot uh, going on for Abu Dhabi, but. This this podcast, we're talking about what we've just watched, which is Brazil. And it was a sprint weekend, um, which is... Uh, well, well, we've spoken about it a lot. It's not our most fam- favorite format ever, because... Um, I don't know. It's... Well, we, we, a variety sure of reasons. There's a variety of reasons. If you just uh, scroll back through a couple no, of what, episodes... Whatever episode it was. Whatever episodes of the sprint rate, we usually <laughs> talk about this... Um, uh, it was doubly unfortunate that it was a sprint race weekend format because of the, the changeable weather conditions earlier on in the weekend allowed Kevin Magnussen to rise up to a majestic um, pole position for Haas uh, which is kind of like the story of their season in many ways with having Mick Schumacher sort of unfortunately at the back so you have a car at the back and a car at the front and uh, all these kind of chips fall into place for Kevin Magnussen unfortunately Though he is credited with that pole position, uh, he would lose uh, a lot of time uh, in the sprint race that followed the next day. And as far as the sprint race goes, it was a fairly um, uh, yeah eventful uh, eventful race. Um, but you know that would have been the case if that was the race. We're just saying how it's sort of the sprint race is made to be like this sort of better, more exciting package, but actually it was just the cars racing at the exact same track for fewer laps. So anyway, we're not here to discuss that too much. Um, notable points from the sprint race, of course, would be the uh, the, the incident involving uh, Ocon and Alonso, um, which we will discuss actually, because this it's sort of, uh, well, actually, you know what? It's, it's a perfect point because it kind of chronologically is one of the first things that sort of uh, went sour in the weekend, um, which is 
Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso. I know dear old Esteban Ocon has has made somewhat of a reputation in in pissing off his teammates uh, throughout his career, only because um, he, oh, he he he's not he's not one to get passed by them really. He's quite um, prickly in that regard. Anybody else you watch about a million cars overtake him quite easily, but uh, when it's his teammate, it's a bit more tricky. Which always leads to some difficult situations. Um, and to, you know, to his credit, you know why not? He wants to beat his teammates. He's very methodical and calculating about it. And he is, you know, on paper, and not in the realms of hearsay, he is an ahead of Alonso uh, net this season for many reasons. Um, yeah. And so on and so forth. I think many reasons aren't his own performance, but. Well, I mean, you can say that, but. This is just how the standings are. That's what yeah, we're going on I on guess, paper. I guess, I guess we can't argue with the standings, but. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But uh, what happened was um, you have these. You have a, a, a personality that loves to defend against a teammate, and you have a personality that thinks a teammate should just move out the way um, as soon as possible because they're slower at every single occasion, whether or not it be true or not. This has caused a situation to turn four where uh, Alonso stuck it around the outside, um, ran out of roads, or believed he was pushed off the track. They touched, and then going into the the long back, long um, grandstand stretch, he he well miscalculated would be the nicest way to put it. Um, where the car was, his teammate's car was. Um, now, obviously, they've, there's been analysis. All this, all the stuff we have, we have telemetry and analysis has been going on, and people have been saying, well, Auckland's car was a bit slower than you would expect because of the damage he took, which he wasn't aware of. Um, or you can get to the other side of the coin where people say he didn't move for, over far enough to the left, which I think is absurd. Bottom line is, uh, by my estimation, he ran into the back of Ocon and very publicly afterwards of the sprint race um, denounced him and uh, openly said Alpine's ending of their relationship cannot come soon enough. Which, um, I don't know if it was the best take I've ever heard from Alonso, but he, he is Fernando Alonso and sometimes these takes just come out when he's in the media pen. Um, I'm going to open it to you guys. My my understanding of it was uh, turn for instant. Yeah, it was unfair on Ocon to to race his teammates sort of that competitively, but also Alonso definitely was a quicker driver this weekend. If he had been just a, a touch more patient, by the time he got racked round at the end of the lap, he would have probably been in this position to overtake him anyway. So I think he was a, a sort of a, a touch aggressive, and uh, Ocon was on the racing line. So there's that element of racing incidenty stuff there. Um, although I do believe Ocon was slower, let's say. And then from my side, the incident on the straight was um, completely Alonso's fault, and I was yeah. not shocked whatsoever to see him not really sort of talk about that, sort of take accountability for that, um, which. I don't know how. What do you guys make of of that? Because to me, it kind of sets up this sort of idea that, you know, he said he can't wait for this crap to be over, basically, with the team with all its mechanical issues and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. also with Ocon and everything around Alpine, basically. And there's these theories that he believes they just they they are sort of 
poisoning his water and helping Ocon along and all this jazz, right? Does he believe that Aston Martin is going to be like this, the the fresh start that he that he thinks it is pairing alongside Lance Stroll? Mm. Given the nature of this incident, which he got very, very upset about, right? Which is something that he did, which is his fault, more or less. Blaming a teammate for defending a position, which he's allowed to do. What do you guys think about that? Well, I think is, uh, <laughs> I I think a lot of Alonso's misfortune hasn't been self-inflicted, but I also think that there has been misfortune that has been self-inflicted. I think definitely that that incident on the straight, whatever you want to say about it, Alonso essentially did it to himself, and if if he had driven differently, it wouldn't have happened. Um. Just, just an interesting thing because we, you were saying that he's going to go to Aston Martin and drive with uh, Stroll. The reason I don't really want to talk about the Ocon thing is because I'm biased against Ocon, so I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say. I understand. Things. It's I okay. It's all. It's all. It it's all objective. What you say here. It's not. It's not based on any sort of personality likeness. I think. I think I'm too biased against uh, Ocon <laughs> to say anything about him. Um, but on the point that he's going to race with Stroll in. Uh, in Aston Martin. I think it's really interesting because um, in terms of the teammate he's going to have, I would say Ocon and Stroll are quite quite similar in that they seem to be the ones that have these like teammate incidents. <laughs> like you have you have Ocon and Alonso and then you have Stroll and Vettel and they have these like weird instances where they, they want to defend or they don't want to um, so I I don't know if he's necessarily upgrading in terms of teammate. Just law law side note, David. What do you think? I'm not going to talk about the incident because you know everyone talks about what happens on track. I think it's more of a testament to just how much of a disaster Alpine as a team are. Realistically, Alpine are going to finish fourth in the constructors' championship. Unless McLaren get a 1-2 next race, which we'll consider McLaren only have one driver who can finish in the points. That's not going to happen. But the fact that there's still a chance that McLaren could finish P4 ahead of Alpine with only one driver that can finish in the points just shows you how much Alpine is a badly run team. And I think when we see sort of Alonso's frustrations on track, when we see Alonso sort of going in spite of Ocon that's not so much about Alonso and Ocon's relationship which obviously has deteriorated to me that's more about Alonso and Alpine's relationship which went from the return of the golden boy to I'm off to Aston Martin see you later and it's because Alpine have failed to manage the Alonso-Ocon partnership next year Ocon's teammate is going to be Pierre Gasly. Now, they keep telling us they've put the past behind them and they're going to be friends and hold hands and go to press conferences together and go and sign caps and t-shirts and throw them to the fans and all's going to be hunky-dory. But then we're going to get to the first race of the season and they're going to have on track coming together. I'm not convinced Alpine will be able to manage that well. And that's going to be Alpine's downfall next year. 
similarly, Alonso is going to Aston Martin. I don't see Alonso doing what Sebastian Vettel did during the sprint race, which is when their teammate tries to kill you, just being like, okay, and just keep on driving. That's not going to be Alonso. Alonso is going to be storming through to the other side of the garage, giving off left, right, and centre. But can he do that when it's the boss's son that you're up against? So I just... Who knows what's going to happen? It makes me wonder, effectively, what is the what is the aim with Aston Martin, right? Because everything that Alonso is and does and sort of projects, and rightly so. I mean, he I mean, he's perfectly capable, but he basically projects that you know, if uh, it would all be fine if I was in the Red Bull, right? Like, mm-hmm. if I I need to be where Max is sitting. And then it's all good, which is which is probably actually perfectly true. Like you know, if you put Alonso in one of these uh, high-performing teams, he probably would do really well. Yeah, but you know, uh, so that mentality works if you're in a top team. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to win like this. Okay, but he's going to Aston Martin now, which is not going to be like. uh, sort of arrive and drive out the box like any any much better than Alpine if in fact you know it's probably on par if not sort of slightly behind uh, well so far at the end of the season right yeah, yeah. they made developments but it's still behind so I I just wonder at the, at the psyche behind why Alonso does these things because he is he's very famously memed as being someone that makes these very interesting career moves um his his protege is basically Daniel Ricciardo. Let's, let's, let's get it out there. Like he just does these moves, right? It doesn't really align with his philosophy. For me, Alonso's philosophy is not going to Aston Martin to race Lance Stroll and Lawrence, and you know, and fight with Lawrence Stroll on the weekends. It's really weird because uh, that's something that everybody that watches F1 can see. He's a strong personality. He he hates teammates basically. And he will fight with teammates, and he and he they will get into these little spats. And Stroll is invincible because he will never get fired from the team. Um, mm. so it's like a, it's like a, yeah, I don't know. It's it'll be interesting, but personally, I just uh, I don't see it. I don't see it going anywhere really. I just, I just, I think there is there's one difference between Stroll and Ocon. And that is, they can't get rid of Ocon. What? What's the Ocon difference? has <laughs> Ocon has Ocon has a signed contract to the end of twenty twenty five. Technically, Landstroll just has a ruling yearly contract. There is no, but by your being no end yet. I'm not saying that um, Stroll is the safest seat in F1, but is it the safest seat if safest seat if Fernando Alonso is their teammate? We know Lawrence Stroll is pro, but Lawrence Stroll is more obsessed with Fernando Alonso than he is with his own son. Do you think so? Do you like, think he would Lawrence Stroll's been trying to get <laughs> Fernando Alonso on the Aston Martin team since he signed Sebastian Vettel? 
Like he's been trying his best to get him on the team. So I, I genuinely think if Alonso isn't happy with Stroll's performance, I think Stroll's in shaky ground. That that's my that's my honest opinion. Mm, interesting. Because I think because I I feel this. I think for Lauren Stroll, as much as he loves his son, I think for him the brand image of having Fernando Alonso wanting to be part of the team and continue at the team is more important than his son having a seat. Uh, well, we'll everyone put a time stamp on that on this recording. That's another one of David's uh, predictions. He's been pretty good with them so far. Um, I I would probably bet quite heavily against Lance Stroll going anywhere anytime soon, in my opinion. But you raise a point. So there could be the daddy issues are a thing, classically. So let's see what happens there. <laughs> um, but yes, let's uh, well let's let's move on from this this particular topic. So Alonso crashed into the back of his teammate, um, who who is Esteban Ocon. So we we we're going to limit judgment or, or say anything about Ocon. Uh, for legal reasons, um, and he's going to go into Abu Dhabi. You know, quite pleased from his results, but uh, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how the Aston Martin relationship uh, develops. Now, sprint race concluded with um, George Russell winning, sort of the sort of the, the soft win. I like to call it the sort of the win in in whispered tones. It's a win, um, which. Uh, which marked a. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to talk about Mercedes too much actually this weekend uh, in terms of other things. But they had a very good weekend. Let's just put it that way. I mean, just right underneath it had a great weekend, and and they were very. Um, uh, they were very sort of unlucky that Ferrari managed to recover as well as they did from all their setbacks in the race uh, to recover so many points because it was you know pretty textbook weekend for Mercedes. Kind of like what they're used to, and as we we said in the very beginning of the season, it was the point that they would end up back at, whether it was midway or at the very very end. We all said that they would work on the car right up until the point when it was back in contention, and which they've done to their credit. Which is something, which is one of the reasons why Ferrari will never win a World Drivers Championship or a Constructors Championship because they just can't do something like this, right? Uh, let's go into the race now because in the race is where we get all the um, the thunder. Oh, and also one more thing that's been race: Kevin Magnus went flying backwards um, down the order, unfortunately. So that's nullifying a, a larger percentage of his advantage from starting pole. But there we go, sprint races, right? Um, yeah. Going into the race, Sao Paulo Grand Prix. It's always a good one. Interlagos is a very very cool track, and it works really well with all the F1 cars. In recent years that we've brought there, it always seems to be uh, quite a racy track and always has some great moments. Um, Start it off. I think if you look at the percentage of overtakes, it's like the the it gets the most action of any track in the season. Yeah, and also it's just cool. It's just cool, like all elevation changes and like the the way yeah. it's like it's just this is a cool track. It's I like it. Track. It's a nice track. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for Kevin Magnussen, he didn't get to drive around it that much uh, on the Sunday. Uh, owing to to Danny Rick uh, uh, lunging up the inside in a move that was reminiscent of sort of Hamilton on Albon, uh, except it wasn't quite the same because Albon had to go very wide angle into that corner, whereas Magnussen basically covered it off. And I don't know, Danny Rick had a flash of like, I'm leaving F1 panic or something happened and he just basically spun the guy around and uh, 
it it was heart it was heartbreaking to watch. Like you could see it happening a mile off. You could just see Danny Richards getting closer and closer to the back and just miss the breaking point a little bit and just clip him. Yeah. It's uh But why? Like I just don't understand why it was it was such a cl- but also it was like it was heartbreaking, but also it was very, very like just clumsy to watch. It just looked like it looks clumsy. It clumsy is the clumsy, right one. And then you're like, who is it? Oh my god, of course. It's, it's, it's Magnuson, right? <laughs> the justice on this earth doesn't exist uh, for Haas because literally, out of all the people you could very slowly punt off a track, it had to be that guy. <laughs> very slowly. But you, have, you have to appreciate the karma of that Magnuson not pumping the brakes and just letting his Haas roll back just enough. Yeah, it's it was just... Uh, God, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was a disaster. And I, I think just really, I know that the deal is already sealed with Danny Rick, but like, it's just another miserable <laughs> hallmark in his season, unfortunately, with just like, yeah, season of misery. So that happened. And then we had, what else happened shortly after that? We had a very sort of contentious uh, coming together between Verstappen and Hamilton down into turn two, whereby uh, uh, Max was into the corner, came round on the outside, and they were both pretty much about level, or Max was slightly ahead, depending on which radar system you use to assess the situation. Um, And he took the inside line as Lewis was cutting across to kind of take the sort of more optimal racing line uh, resulting in collision which I'm, I must say when I was watching it I don't know what talisman Lewis Hamilton wears to walk away from these kinds of incidents with like so much less damage than anybody else ever like it is ridiculous it's like in, in Jeddah last year when Max like shunted him and like the whole car was just fine. It's like his car made of cement. Um, bafflingly, it seemed to really have affected Verstappen and Hamilton as it came out the corner. They were both slow, but it hurt Max way more. And Hamilton just carried on basically at full speed. No. It was it was just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> there was like no aero loss, nothing. It was just like his floor was gone, but the car was great. So, um, um. In that regard, it ended up not being a sort of 50-50 sort of trade because it didn't really ruin um, both their races. It kind of um, only really hampered significantly one of the drivers' races. Now, the ruling was, was given a bit later on into the race, that uh, Verstappen would receive a five-second penalty for, uh, for, for causing the contact. Um, and as I'm sure David will explain to you in, in just a couple of moments, the the uh, the jargon and technical side of what constitutes like the legality of a pass in Formula One these days and how that's enforced and who's who has responsibility is getting more and more convoluted as time goes on to the point where uh, maybe perhaps not even the FA really knows. Uh, who has it's like it's like the highway code who has priority in these situations 
um, as if it's some sort of arbitrary thing which you can just define very black and white. This person has priority. Um, that section of corners, that sort of one two s, is is it's not like a sort of rigid. It's like very flowy. It's like a it's like a it's like a river stream in the glens in Scotland. You know, it's like <laughs> the move starts literally in turn one, and it's it's a continual move. It's not like just like as a ninety degree left, and it's like a pass or not. It's like a you know flowing water i keep saying flowing water but you guys will know you guys know what i'm talking about so in the end the question is now for us to discuss in this podcast interrupting the zen to give max a five second penalty putting the blame on him pinning the blame on him what is the verdict on that what is the opinion what is the opinion i'll hear you guys' opinion first well before david comes out with the ruba because I know yep. he has it ready to, to school us. I just want to say, generically, without any particular bias towards either side, if I'm being truthful with myself and objective as a Formula One fan, I think it's sad that there's these two drivers that race at the front that can't race together without issues. This whole season, we've had Max and Leclerc racing, close racing, no incidents, no issues. And it's been nice. I've enjoyed it a lot. Why can these two guys, it's like they're, they're, they're missing something in their relationship, can't race together without issues. I just think it's sad because it deprives us of good racing. When we have these incidents, I'm sure there's people that enjoy crashes and sensationalism. I just think it's sad because how nice would it have been to have more of that close racing and people trying to overtake each other for longer than we we saw it for two corners before one of them was punted off. You think it's because they don't trust each other? They definitely don't trust each other. Exactly. Isn't that one of the one of the fundamentals of? Uh... Racing is to have some degree of trust in the people around you, not from competency's sake necessarily at this level, but I'm going to put the car here. Do you accept? <laughs> I think I think there's an element of um, we we know Max doesn't compromise because that's his style, but I think in response, Hamilton has started to kind of over overcompensate. Because before, like historically, I think Hamilton would try to avoid the incident. And then he was like, oh, but I keep getting like shafted by this. And now he's started forcing the issue. But mm. in this specific instance, in, in my opinion as a as a as a home viewer, it looked to me like there was absolutely no space given by Hamilton. And it was it was literally to me it reads as I don't care what you do, but I am gonna take the racing line and we'll see what happens. And I don't know I don't know if that's a nice way to do you know this. is that because um there's a theory or a school of thought or a philosophy that in this particular race neither of those drivers had anything really to to gain or to lose. Uh, whereas prior and previously they kind of have 
And this is the point where their sort of ideologies sort of broke down a bit and just ended up in just like a a very stubborn incident where, well, you know, neither party wanted to give in. Therefore, basically dooming the, the, the corner to being a crash even before they even arrived there. I think that, well, again, in, in my opinion, I would think that that applies more so to Hamilton because I think that Verstappen is very consistent in his style. Hamilton, well, no, sorry, Verstappen is very unlikely, on the whole, very unlikely to yield. He's very unlikely to abandon an overtake attempt if he still thinks it can work. So, yeah, I think had Verstappen had more to lose, I think he wouldn't have been as as adventurous. I think that is true to say because I think he now might have the foresight. Okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to uh, defer uh, your defer your your uh, ramblings ramblings to the book. <laughs> let's let's get the book out of David. our Lord, David. <laughs> David, school us. Reading please. from the FIA themselves. In order for a car, so I should clarify, this is for overtaking on the inside of a corner, which at the point in which the two cars collided. That was what Verstappen was attempting to do, overtake on the inside of the corner. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> In order for a car being overtaken to be required to give sufficient room to an overtaking car, the overtaking car needs to have a significant portion of the car alongside the car being overtaken. And the overtaking manoeuvre must be done in a safe a controlled manner, while enabling the car to remain within the limits of the track. That's one very, very long sentence from the FIA. But what I get from that is that if the car overtaking has a significant proportion alongside the car they're attempting to overtake, space must be given. The FIA went on to say, not in the rule book, but sort of in the streets of, you know, Try to give us a little bit of an insight into what goes on inside your heads. This, I can see your shock as something goes on inside their heads. When considering what is a significant portion for an overtaking on the inside of a corner, among the various factors that will be looked at by the Stuarts when exercising their discretion, the Stuart will consider if the overtaking car's front tyres are alongside the other car by no later than the apex of the corner. Verstappen's front tyres were up to the side pod of Lewis Hamilton as they were hitting the corner itself. So clearly, that is a significant proportion of the car. So, if they follow the rulebook, Lewis Hamilton has to give Max Verstappen room. Which he does not do. So, there should be a penalty, and that penalty should be for Lewis Hamilton, because he didn't give Max Verstappen the room. The Stuarts have one of two options. They either call it a recent incident and nothing comes off it, or if they're going to penalise, well, they have to penalise the driver in the wrong, and that's the driver that didn't give space. But they don't do that. They penalise Max Samuel who's trying to do the overtaking move, which, you know, 
Are we not wanting to promote overtaking, promote motor racing, as Michael Massey might once have said? But that doesn't really seem to be what's going on with the Stuarts this year when it comes to overtaking manoeuvres. They very much seem to... How do they put it? They're on the decide of the defender. You know, they want the drivers to play it a little bit safer, not to sort of go for the gaps that you know might be there, might be there. But by their actions, they're actually not doing anything to ensure there is going to be the gap there. Because what they're saying is, well, should the driver not leave the gap? Well, it's the other person's fault for not noticing that the gap's not really going to be left there. So they they got it wrong. But, of course, they're not going to say anything. Or maybe we, the casual fan, have just misinterpreted the entire situation. But how are we to know if we're misinterpreting the situation if the FIA don't tell us what they're thinking when they hand out these penalties? So, I think the easiest solution to the problem is going to be is that the FIA, who have been telling us that they're looking at football and how VAR and refereeing and footballing works, they're telling us they look at how decision making and reviews go on in the American football, where they know every touchdown gets reviewed by New York and whatnot, and they tell us they listen to how rugby does officiating and refereeing. So, if Formula One is truly wanting to move the stewarding process forward, not just by looking at how other sports do the review process, they should also stop and realize, oh, anytime there's a ruling on the field on at an NFL game. The referee clearly explains to those in the ground, to the fans, to the international stream, this is why I'm making this decision. They see it happening in rugby all the time. You know, the referee will explain why he is given a yellow card instead of a red card, or why he's uh, deciding no, a card's not warranted after a high tackle. There's an explanation process that goes on. So we, the casual fan watching the game, understand, ah, that's why the player's just went to the sin bin for 10 minutes and hasn't been sent off completely and banned for the next two weeks. But the mm-hmm. FIA don't do that. They just send out a wee message, five seconds telling to Max Verstappen, and we don't understand how they've came to that. So maybe the step going forward for the FIA should be, you know, can we put in some sort of mechanism in place where you know, there'll be a steward whose job is that when we hand out penalties, just give a quick 20 second spiel to the international stream of, in the eyes of the steward, Max Verstappen was not sufficiently alongside going into the apex of the corner, therefore he is at fault. Then we would at least understand what's going on. We mightn't agree with what's going on, or we mightn't agree with yeah, the decision, you know their rationale, but at least we would understand the rationale behind it. Do you know what the crux to all this is, though, in this particular instance, con- uh, regards this instance in particular, is that uh, the, pe- the penalty is, is in many ways irrelevant because neither driver really cared about it. Uh, not least Max, who, when, you know, normally customarily you'd hear he would get a five second penalty and he would start swearing down the radio. But his radio was, he was just like, great, you know? And after the race, he, um, you know, he didn't seem to really dwell on it that much. He didn't really seem to care, and, and, and if, if anything, kind of skirted into some dangerous sort of self territory of being like, "Yeah, I was going to crash." Like, <laughs> of 
course I'm going to crash. Like he's just there and I'm here. So, um, so I think the really the whether or not the, the on the technicality side from the FIA whether the ruling was the right one turned out there was no re- real sort of um, driver weight involved in that because neither of them really cared about it. It was purely a sort of long. Uh, long overdue because they haven't really done it much this year sort of clash of well, yeah just sort of sim- symbolism it seen because uh, I turn your attention to because let's, 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 let's make this one thing very clear okay uh, back in 2018 I'm, I'm sorry to say his name again he's coming to come back into the conversation Esteban Ocon was overtaken by Verstappen Okay, down the straight. No, I know what you're going to talk And then was trying to unlap himself, okay, in the exact same position as Max Verstappen found himself, okay? It's true. It's true. The same I know position, it's true, but I don't want to talk about position. it. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But we have to talk about it as, as sort of armchair. Okay, okay, We're okay. trying to be better than Sky. Okay. Okay, better We're than trying Sky. to be net neutral. But that's not difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's not difficult. <laughs> but... It is an interesting point because simply because purely taking emotion and, and particular driver preferences out of the equation, uh, in that scenario, Ocon was penalized um, quite swiftly. I think it was like 10 seconds. So it was even more than what was given to uh, Max in this regard. Uh, and it actually resulted that Max very much did care about that incident at the time because he went and pushed him off the... Uh, the weighing scales in the paddock and getting himself two days, uh, what was it, like public cleaning or something, <laughs> something really weird kind of punishment that he got for that. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know under what jurisdiction, but he had to do two days of public something for um, showing Did his... Did it not say like Shadow Stewart or something? Yeah, I, I don't know what it was. It's something, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't like community service, but it was something very along the lines like of that. Formula One community service. Yeah, yeah it was something service. really... It was something really bizarre for pushing Ocon off the weight scales and stuff like that. Um, but in that element, you had you had you had the ingredients for why penalty was harsh because Max was the leader. Uh, yes, Ocon is allowed to lap himself, but like you know, crashing the leader out is universally uncool. And um, you know, on the other side of the corner as well, he is also allowed to unlap himself. And and there was that element of like. There's the FAA, and there's also the drivers are really committed to that incident. With the one that we saw on the weekend, I just felt like it was so clumsy and just so like needless uh, between the two. And I think actually it, it reflects on a wider point, which we will dis- which we are going to be discussing as the podcast careers onwards uh, with regard to this episode of the driving standards actually this weekend was pretty poor from all these sort of mm-hmm. top drivers. It was I think so, generally yeah. speaking, very sloppy and sort of, uh, yeah, kind of like throwing caution to the wind when historically these drivers would not be doing so. And I don't know what it was, what they were eating or like drinking at the altitude or something, but there are many cases in this weekend where drivers seem to abandon any sort of, real logical reasoning for making decisions uh, and getting into these sort of silly mistakes. And that's why I think in this particular instance, it was just overall underwhelming to have these two crash for like effectively no real reason. There was nothing like on the line. There was nothing to gain or lose. It was just like, uh, 
a statement crash almost. He was like, well, I'm going to crash and you're not going to move for me. And I know that and you know I'm not going to move for you and then we're just going to crash. So it was very bizarre. And I think it was, as Chris mentioned at the very beginning to start his point, it's disappointing more than the technicality of whether it was whose fault it was per se, because really I don't think it matters because they don't really care. But it's disappointing that they themselves, when, they, when they're next to each other, they don't realize, okay, well, you've got nothing to lose and I've got nothing to lose. Let, why don't we like try and have like a fun, like let's have a race which lasts more than one one section section of the lap, you know? Let's make it like a spectacle. Um, such as their sort of rivalry that they kind of have in many ways. It's it's just goes beyond that thinking and it's just like, you know, these things kind of inevitably happen. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was not, it was not great. And it, it it thoroughly ruined Max's race because his car was 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 broken and Hamilton had a great race afterwards as we spoke about because yeah, his car ridiculous. was ridiculous. His, his car was not affected. Yeah, his car was not affected at all. Vibranium um, nonsense. What the? F- I will I will just quickly move on because on the same lap we had Leclerc getting binned off by Norris, um, which again was in my opinion incredibly poor driving. Uh, These are supposed to be like the best. Yes, yes. And then you see some silly, silly things. You know what? The thing about this this incident is, uh, which surprised me more than anything else, because it is it is a classic racing incident, because Norris miscalculated the corner, basically, and he, and he clipped the curb, and he, he effectively understeered very, very minorly into Leclerc. But obviously, at that high-speed corner, you're going to spin out, you're going to smash the wall. Again, I'm not sure what the cars were eating for breakfast on this day, but Leclerc somehow drove... Full frontal, and then yeah. <laughs> just drove off. Like I don't know where. Like <laughs> the rest of the season, these guys spin around, and then they're like, "Oh no, engine stall beef." This race, they're all like, "It was like go karting at my local track." It was just ridiculous. <laughs> but it was let's crazy. Be honest, the driving standard was that of go karting. It was. It was. I, I when I put in the group chat, I was like, "It's like a it's like a stag do weekend for like people that just uh, there's no there." It's like someone's trying to win a bottle of champagne at the end of it. It's it's carnage, um, and weirdly enough, the the main thing that really gets to me about this weekend and all the incidents and little crashes is that no one is taking any accountability for that driving standard no. anywhere. Everyone has an excuse. Alonso has an excuse. Ocon has an excuse. Norris has come out saying really crazy stuff like you know we just don't overtake around the outside or what else did he say? He said I'm not here to let everyone pass. It's like well enough. Of course not. You're not doing that, but you did understeer into him, and you did punt him out. So you can just be like, "Yeah, that was my bad. I've had I've had a few poisoning. I was driving a car like basically delirious." That's a whole other topic. That itself. is a different topic. I, I I want to jump. I want to jump on this just while we're on this point. Mm-hmm. And I need to be careful of what I say, but Lando has came out and he has said to the media at a point. I I wasn't able to find the exact clip again, but he did say to the media on Sunday afternoon that he was glad that he DNF'd, the point in which he DNF'd, because on reflection, he did not think he was well enough to have actually completed a full reassistance. Yeah. This is that... we. I just feel like, you know, something needs to be done, especially when drivers are not are a bit under the weather prior to the Grand Prix, prior to a Grand Prix weekend, 
there seems to be this massive rush that we have to rush them back in. The driver has to make sure, you know, even if they're up all night first night, throwing up and whatnot, they just need to be in that seat for P1 to make sure they can take part in the weekend. But it's not like a rugby game or an American football game or a soccer game where, you know, if they're a bit under the weather, they can try for the first 40 minutes and get subbed off at half time. That doesn't happen in Formula 1. So I do think a discussion needs to be had about overall driver fitness when it comes to weekend. And actually, if they are feeling under the weather, there's, there's always going to be pressure because obviously, you know, if you don't race that weekend, you're not getting any points. Yes, the team might have a reserve driver that gets the team points, but you won't be getting any points. But I do sort of feel there needs to be a little bit more accountability so that drivers aren't going into a weekend under the weather not feeling great. Because if you're not feeling 100%, should you really be driving a car around at 200 miles per hour? It's like a toxic workplace, isn't it? It's like you get, you get performance anxiety because you're like, if I don't turn up, like all the work's going to fall to the side of the road. But I mean, I'm curious because I mean, you guys are medical professionals, but surely, uh, you know, surely Lando got like checked, like a screening or like a check by medical professionals before he got in that car. Or is there a protocol in place for that where they go, right? You know, no, don't don't bullshit me because uh, you get a fine if you do or something. How you're feeling? Like, yes, David. From my understanding, and I could be wrong, but from my understanding. A driver can go and talk to Professor Sid. I think it's Sid at the minute, the current sort of medical delegate who goes around with them for the entire sort of 22 race calendar and whatnot. Who's new, the FIA medical delegate for Formula One, who's new, the main doctor in the safety and the medical car at every race. And he can sort of give individual advice to drivers. He can sort of, you know, assess them and whatnot. But sort of, there's no requirement to go to him before a race to get medically cleared for a race. The teams sort of have their own medical staff and whatnot. There are sort of doctors, physios, the whole shebang. He can sort of, you know, help drivers out, advise drivers. But there's sort of, there's no sort of formal framework in which they have to work through. It's not like sort of rugby or American football where they need to get a bang in the head. In the head, they have to, you know, go through the. Con- a concussion protocol or something and be sort of assessed by an independent assessor separate from the team before you can go back in. It just there is none of that. It's just, you know, do you feel up to it? There, Doc, you know, I've drank some water. Well, it's a good point because, you know, like, as you say, if you, you know, uh, get dizzy and black out because you've lost too much moisture in your body and you've got food poisoning at, like, uh, 170 miles per hour, it's uh, not only very dangerous for the driver, but it's dangerous for marshals and spectators and stuff. So, yeah, I think but the thing about it is is because there's all, so much other drama and shit going off from this weekend. The whole thing about Norris like sitting at the side of the road being like, oh, actually, I felt really shit. <laughs> it's kind of been like overlooked. But I mean, it's definitely something that, uh, yeah, I, I can see how it affected potentially his racing to the point where, yes, he might have been Leclerc because he just he just wasn't a hundred percent. But then, are his reaction times any less than what Latifi's are in a normal day? You know, <laughs> I think it's tricky because I think you, I think if you do 
like if you're going to clear someone for this, it's it's not like you can you can stress test someone in a way that's going to tell you whether they can handle a full race length. Like for for Norris, if prior to the race he's hydrated and he doesn't have any issues in terms of active uh, food poisoning symptoms, and his blood pressure is fine and everything's fine, how how do you accurately assess whether he can then last a full race like what what proxy or measurement can you use because you can be physically recovered well enough from food poisoning and be fine but not be fine enough to race a race distance so i think it would be very tricky to put specific because then even then you're going to get in a position where different doctors would have different opinions and I think it just adds a whole layer of complexity. But the converse of this is there is definitely a point where you're not fit enough. So how do you prevent drivers that are definitely not fit enough, where it would be a safety concern, from racing? Who was the driver this season that couldn't get out of the car because he was so sore? The, the standard, yeah. The freeze. Mm-hmm. That also was a safety concern, in my opinion. That was unsafe. If you can't do your exit in however many seconds, yeah, if you can do it before a race, that's fine. If you can't do it after a race distance, you're not fit enough to well, I'm, I'm, do I'm a race distance. I'm quite in favor of uh, this sort of like more uh, more medical law being laid down because effectively what it does mean is A, everybody's safer and people's welfare is generally more protected because they're not feeling forced to even if they're slightly under the weather, get in a race car. Also, aside from that, aside from the points you both mentioned, more eloquently than I can, because I, all I know is I get a cold and I think I've got cancer, um, is that it would actually make being a reserve driver somewhat viable. <laughs> yeah, more viable. Um, <laughs> because let's say if you knew for a fact, and it was more like, as David mentioned, that the NFL or something were, if you get like sort of minorly concussed or something, you, you know it's not up to you whether you feel fine. It's you get sat for uh, a weekend and continually assessed. Um, if that decision was taken out of the driver's hands per se, let's say, if it was more of like a like a formatted thing, uh, then yeah, maybe it would just give way to instead of drivers pushing themselves to get fitter and better and recover from things like appendicitis or food poisoning or whatever maybe perhaps uh quicker than they should be or what's what's necessary then then it's like well it's not up to you guys medically this driver is not allowed to take part please call up your reserve driver and get the seat fitted um i think that's seems pretty fair how do you so i i don't disagree that it sounds good i just don't know how you would implement it yeah, yeah of course how do you I think what's what's also important here is there's there is an an incentive or rather there's a, a disincentive to missing races. There's a huge downside to miss a race mm-hmm. if you're competing for the drivers championship. Because miss, missing a race for whatever reason you feel under weather or whatever that can cost you a championship. So how do you how do you address that point where a driver wouldn't want to miss a race for the implications it's going to have for 
either their championship or their bonuses or I feel like there's there's too much at stake. They they can never you know they can never do that. That's you know what makes it different from you know other team sports where this Formula One is a team sport, but it's also a very individual sport. You know, if they're not there, you're not getting any points in the championship. Your team might get you know the two points. Uh, the reserve driver happens to pick up, but. They're not going to get, you know, the eight points you might have got if you had been racing yourself. Yes, it's tricky, and I feel like it was also relevant when it was like COVID, because then if a, if a driver gets COVID, that's that, that was them out because they were isolating, they couldn't race. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, but it, we it's can't. Very interesting. It's a very interesting. We'll move on for it, but I just want to like, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you theory craft it. It's a pain in the ass for a team to not have a drive and for the driver to not race on a weekend or something or even two or whatever, right? But all these things are always pain in the asses until some dark thing happens as a result of, yeah, fair. you know, like something like this not being picked up on. And then, you know, some drivers sort of pass out and his foot hard on the throttle and goes 300 kph into a wall because uh, he was feeling dizzy. You know, like yeah. stuff like that. It's like, uh, and then the whole thing about like, well, the team's gonna like miss out on like this many points. Kind of... Well, no, you make you make a very good point because if if he was dehydrated and not robust enough, and he has a faint in his car because he can't handle the g forces, then he would just be flying out at however many miles an hour. Let's oh, yeah, it's ju- an interesting I'm just, one. I'm just gonna say Alonso's crash in preseason testing a few years ago. And we'll say nothing more. Oh. Well, our listeners aren't going to know what the heck you're talking about. So you need to say something more for context. You know what? I don't <laughs> even know you're talking about there. What I, I can't that? remember the year, but I think it was. Is that why you weren't saying more? Because you can't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll I can't say nothing more. It, it's yeah, Alonso at McLaren. <laughs> I think it's 2018 Barcelona preseason testing. Alonso crashes. And after the crash... 2015. Yes, 2015, that was it. I apologize. It's further back. It's 2015. Apologies, viewers, for uh, getting the date wrong. But Alonso crashes, and he's got a bit of amnesia and whatnot after the event. There's some censored data that suggests that Alonso was unconscious prior to crashing out. Hmm... It can happen. And it can happen. And there is a theory from the time that due to the nature of the G-forces that the McLaren car was exerting on the long zone, he blacked out coming out of the corner and was actually already unconscious at the point in which the car crashed. Now, we're lucky that wasn't a more serious collision, but if you take the opinion of he was out before the crash happened... You know, the precedent is there even in the modern F1 era for the cars having the potential to cause drivers a blackout while driving at high speeds. You know, we're not going back to the 60s or the 70s. You know, we're still we are talking very much in the modern F1 era. There's talk of this having happened. So I think it's, it's entirely possible for a driver a bit under the weather to blackout and who knows what could happen. Yeah, I mean, I know I for sure would... Uh... If I even felt remotely 
unwell, I would let, not even get sit in the passenger seat of someone else's car, let alone Formula One car. So should we? Should we give? I'll I'll throw a suggestion. Out. Should we give drivers? Just give them like one one free pass. Yeah, like a your PTO. worst result. Your worst <laughs> result doesn't count. Over the season, you get one pass. Your worst result doesn't count. Yeah. Well, I don't know. There's. T- it depends. It depends, isn't it? Like, there's so many variables to it, like how it would and wouldn't work. But I mean, I think, yeah, it is something. It's one there's of those a time, potential for something. Yeah, it's a, a time bomb for something to happen. It, you know, it will go beyond just like Mark Webber throwing up in his helmet in Malaysia. It will be like, uh, <laughs> you know, something more serious. Hopefully not. But you know, I think a point which we we weren't really going to to talk upon but it has been highlighted you know just in passing is yeah well Norris was bidding off other drivers because uh, you know he couldn't see he couldn't misjudge the curve because he's was very unwell on the weekend actually and was yeah. not looking like he was going to race the weekend and then miraculously he was there and then go out of the car and said I wouldn't have made it which you know if there wasn't all other stories going on this weekend it probably wouldn't be one of the biggest ones because uh, mm-hmm. from a safety I think, point I think it's a big statement it's a big, uh, it's a big thing to say that I wouldn't have finished the race potentially yeah. in uh, if I kept going anyway. So, um, I think that it's also it's a bit of immature, and you're from London or somewhere. It's, and I think oh, what to say that you don't yeah, have sort of come, come out and say something like that after a race and just yeah. sort of general comments this weekend. I do think sort of an observation on the season for Landon Norris. Is don't get me wrong, I absolutely love him as a driver and I think there's great things to come. But I do think we have seen that, you know, he's got a lot of maturing to do before he can become that, you know, true great team leader, number one driver that's gonna compete for win races and hopefully one day a championship. Yeah. I think he just got upset with Claire called him a dick <laughs> when he crashed into the barrier. That was a funny message. Um Right, I'm going to rattle on. We're going to keep this next topic very brief because I'm sure this podcast has been at least four hours long already. Uh, regarding, and I'm sorry to any viewers and listeners sorry, that are still actually comprehending and with us still at this point in the podcast, FII problems logistically with unlapping cars, specifically in this instance, Yuki Tsunoda um, basically you know, Tokyo drifting in the middle of the pack randomly because he's getting 17 different messages uh, in his earpiece saying, go, don't go, stop, wait where you are, and completely out of position. And I feel like you can back, see the confusion from him just moving around. It was ridiculous. So, I mean, the, the tale is that there was a safety car and you know, it took about uh, 10 years for the safety car to be fully deployed and it took another 10 years for them to go, right, okay, everyone's behind a safety car. Let's sort out the unlap cars. Uh, to which point the unlap cars started going around. Sonoda pitted. Uh, but I think before he was waved around, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, before. And um, him going for the pits technically put him, uh, you know, ahead of like the pace car for a little, for a brief moment and it Class him as unlapping himself, and then the all the talented individuals in the race directing box just completely lost track of this driver, uh, and they just forgot about him. Like to be fair, he was behind Latifi. You know, of course you're going to forget him. Yeah, I mean it's it's remarkable to me because 
let's just uh, I'm just gonna just say one thing about this topic. There are many, many, many series, racing series across the world that have to deal with unlapping, right? A lot more. I'm talking like your endurance series. I'm talking about your NASCARs. We're talking about not just one or two cars. We're talking like five, ten entire categories. Yeah, whole categories. Um, yeah. Like that, you know, and it's like a system. Like right, if it's like a have... twenty-four hour race, everyone's on yeah, different yeah. laps. You know, if you, when you have a when you have a, a a safety car or a red flag or something in Le Mans, it is almost marvelous in itself to watch how they get everything back in like you know the sort of the correct order. It's remarkable, and to think that all these practices and technologies and and different tips that these series have set up to 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 make it work for them. Is not being studied, or no advisor is being brought in from one of the, like a series that is most applicable or comparable in nature to go. How do you uh, unlap your cars? Because even in principle, in Formula One, there's not often that many lap cars unless you you know count a couple of seasons a couple of years ago when it was like every single car with Mercedes uh, out front. But in principle, it's only ever a couple. So how come it's always a couple of cars? That cannot get unlapped uh, efficiently and quickly, or cannot you know? It's not even like you need a piece of a computer. You can just look out the window of the box and go, "That's an Alfatari, and there's two Williams. They're at the back now." Like, why is this so hard to achieve? I really don't understand it. Uh, I think it's a joke, and they need to just sort it out. And what? That's what I'm going to say. What concerns <laughs> me is Michael Massey got a lot of blame last year. And you know some decisions Michael made maybe weren't the best decisions. Some of them he made them probably more with entertainment in his mind than you know the actual Conjecture. final versions of how a motorsport in events go. It's called motor racing. It's called motor racing, and like let's be honest, you know if you, if you're only gonna let four or five cars unlap themselves for an entertainment purpose, then. Conjecture. I, res- I, I respect you for having the minerals to go and do that. <laughs> At least you know they're doing it for entertainment. But you're putting your minerals in the line. You're going for it. It seems to be this year. You just got two people who don't quite know what's actually happening. You know, there was no entertainment benefit to Alonso to Alonso to Yuki not being allowed to unlap himself. They just forgot about him. What worries me is the point Dan made, and that was, you know, for a bunch of, you know, they should look at other championships that have a lot more of this unlapping and whatnot. The two race drivers this year, one was a race driver at DTM, and the other one did World Endurance Championships. So, F1 have brought, have two race drivers, one of which is very experienced in unlapping cars, and it's still a disaster. So, I think it comes back to, you know, is it a race director issue? Is it mixing of sterling issues? Or is it, just, is it just something not quite right at the minute? And as each race goes on, as this season's went on, given more time, I think, about, you know, last season, seasons before that, I do think there's just, there's just something not quite right about how Fona 1 is being run at the minute. Not just like a big global picture side of things, but at the very sort of centre of, of how the actual racing itself is being run, there's just a bit of a disconnect. 
the so thing, we can fix it. The thing that annoyed me the most about this is that they had to look into this, and then they looked into it, and then they retroactively justified it. They didn't say, oh, we, we lost track. They said, oh, no, actually, we, we meant to do it like this because you're not allowed to unlap yourself twice. We've, we've never heard this rule before. This is not a thing. This is genuinely not a thing. I want us to go back to the days of Mercedes dominance where cars were two laps down. No, no. We, like, we, we meant to do this. This is how it's meant to work. And you're not allowed to unlap yourself twice. That just That's retroactively justifying their ineptitude. Yeah, I think... Um... Well, they had to do what? Is it, what was the ridiculous terminology used in the statement? As a result of several different varying idiosyncrasies, capitulating like all this jargon, right, on the press release. Every race has idiosyncrasy. Every every race has individual circumstances that can never be related to other races. Exactly. Can we so, every race is unique. But you know, so them saying that is effectively sort of an admission of incompetency, really, because they try and say like, "Well, the idiosyncrasies make it hard for us," but it's you know, it's their whole job to to deal with idiosyncrasies. We're not competent <laughs> enough to <laughs> apply the rules in a consistent and understandable manner. And it's always pretty embarrassing because in this particular instance, you know, poor old Yuki Tsunoda, for no real fault of his own, just you know, did stuff within the rules and then the rule book was thrown back at him uh in a in a weird way so um yeah as david said as well it's not this year last year it's not it's not like a new thing and you know on this podcast we we are staunch um critique cr- critique criticizers Critics. Of the, <laughs> critics, sorry, yes, that's the word. It's, it's getting late. Um, it's that time. So we, always have, we always have some some stuff to say about it, but uh, in this particular instance, I was you know a little bit shocked that they couldn't manage to get three cars unlapped and lose one in the process. Um, it's a big white Alpha Tauri looking car. You can you can I see just it. Forgot about uh, it. It's weird. Um, Poor you. Right. So this brings us, this brings me along to the sort of the final point uh of talking which again this this episode's been quite long because there's been so much actually happened this weekend the, the race itself was like all right but it was full of bad driving but it was just full of drama sort of actually sort of in and around the weekend itself not so much on the track just more everything around um the off side of the track uh, so we had a situation where george russell stormed his way to his first win in Formula One, which uh, was, you know, actually felt great to watch. Actually, it was good for him. Long time coming. Uh, he should have probably won at Bahrain when he stepped in. That one, that one kind of hurt. Um, <laughs> but uh, he finally made it, and it was a great weekend for for uh, Mercedes and a huge recovery for fucking Hamilton to dis- despite his car just being completely fine, like not destroyed, just come to finish where he did. Um, and then we have this sort of like, sort of three to three to six, three to seven. We just had um, what could only be described as you know, just complete goonery happening. Happening uh, to start with. Let's start with Ferrari. So um, Leclerc, after being binned by a very sick Norris, um, came back quite well actually through the field to the point where he was behind Carlos Sainz. And was clamoring for uh, uh, a position so that he could have the advantage over Perez, 
going into going into the final penultimate race. Uh, Ferrari rightly did decline that request because Science was actually on the podium. So um, at that point, so it's you know that's uh, that's fair. I think that's pretty fair. I understand that you know yes, in principle it you would get points, but I mean it's some guy's podium. And even afterwards as well, it was it was it was the stuff with Ferrari was quite well handled and nice afterwards because even Science came out and said I wasn't aware of the request at the time. Actually, I would have been actually sort of up to it because I you know, I want to be a team player, which was sweet of him. I thought he didn't have to Never. particularly say that. Charles um, came out as well and sort of said that um, as much as he asked for it, you know, that was in the heat of the moment and in hindsight, it's not something he would have wanted. Yeah, it was all it was all love and hugs at the at the uh, uh, dishevelled dishevelled Ferrari camp that has gone from that went from being championship contenders to sort of jerking each other off for <laughs> you know no you go first no I'll go first okay fine um, it was a good recovery drive for them nonetheless that sort of set the mandate for another sort of um, team swap situation which was happening. A little bit further behind Alan, behind Alonso, who had miraculously come back through the field um, to redeem himself for the weekend to finish fifth. Dan, before you go any further, you have to also bear in mind Ocon not Alonso free, despite what had happened on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, part he did. of this tiger as well. He did, he did, he did. Well, I mean, Ocon, yeah, Ocon was told to uh, not hold Alonso up. He said, let me get Vettel first and I'll let him through, which he did. So, so again, the team, the team, the team stuff was happening all across the shop, and then we get to Red Bull, and we had what can only be described as one of the most bizarre uh, instances of of team orders uh, and, and te- declining team orders that I think I've seen personally in Formula One, um, whereby uh, Perez was in seventh. And Max was in sixth after sort of carrying his car, his wounded car, around for much of the race, doing the best he could. And with uh, Leclerc finishing so far up ahead and fourth, miraculously, they were looking very tight going into the last round on points. Uh, and as it, you know, as it so happened, as it stood where they were, uh, they would actually be equal. So Red Bull. Um, logically said, well, actually, if we swap the cars here, Max is already champion. He's got how many points. We can give uh, Checo a slight advantage going into that last race. So the the order was given. The, the pigeon was dispatched um, to Max Verstappen on the last lap. Uh, and his engineer uh, told him a couple of times, maybe, I think maybe three times, Max, don't worry about uh, whoever it was at Alonso, just let Checo through, and uh, Max just Max went all the way to the end, thus creating one of the biggest uh, social media crap shows I've had the pleasure of watching, <laughs> reading through, and viewing uh, in quite a few months. Because, uh, to put it briefly. It doesn't really make any sense to do this realistically, even if we take into account the nature of Max Verstappen, his philosophy, his ideology, which everybody respects and all drivers would understand is, well, if you want to pass me, 
you pass me, that you race me, you do that, or you know, I'm not gonna stand aside for teammates. That's not a new thing in Formula One. However, in this specific context, with this specific scenario, with the positions they were in, with the championship and the season being sort of dusted the way it was, it was an extremely bizarre thing to happen. Um given the fact that obviously Perez has has quite clearly had clearly in the past helped helped uh, Max out uh, in separate occasions with you know letting them through in races and etc 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 um again case in point there was no real reason given by Max as well it was just discussed with the team so the team has discussed this at some point however they didn't discuss it enough because it led to this uh, Monaco rumor mill sparking back up and telemetry started appearing from monaco and to you know q3 started flying about and uh, then it just kept roll it's it's kept snowballing it went from uh checo crashed on purpose so i'm getting back for that to he's a dirty cheat he cheated on his wife in the boat like it's Max's just like mom it, got involved. Yeah, Max's mum saying like he's a dirty cheat. it's just like re- completely ludicrous um just i don't know why i don't know how, how it must feel to be working on the red bull racing pr or marketing team right now to try and sort of keep this contained because realistically no one thought this was like an issue or a big deal because it was so under wraps or not even thought about anymore by anybody because it wasn't even thought of it at the time of let's say if we put it pin this on the monaco incident it wasn't really discussed at the time ergo everyone assumed that this was if it was a thing, it was dealt with internally and satisfactorily to um, both drivers' um, um, contentment at the time, because there has not been a single incident this between then and now where that has ever been an issue or a problem or something that was like even remotely close to being grudgeworthy. In my opinion, I have not seen it, and I have not seen it from Max. He's like a psychopath for that, like a true crime, like killer because he has hid that from everybody apart from himself and to use that now to play that card now of all times was just it was just so bizarre to me like i really really have been struggling this week it was a weird race to pull the card yeah it was just a really weird because because okay let's say fair enough and uh, here's my point i'll let you guys talk about because i don't want to drag on too long obviously but my point is if and even if it was like an allegation, and even if it was never confirmed, I can see why you might, you know, you might feel this that kind of way about, you know, potentially, you know, your teammate trying to do you over like that at Monaco because you know it's easy to do so and whatever spinning, and that's fine. Let's say you took that out in like a in round ten when you know you were both quite level on points or something, or like you were racing close by, or you were racing in like the top five for like trying to maximize your finish. And then you didn't do it. And then you said, well, this is just, for me, this is just a payback for something that I think you did. Okay, fine. Cool. But that doesn't really apply anymore to my knowledge in terms of what you stand to gain from doing it now compared to what has started and what is happening needlessly as a result, it is just uh, it is one of like the most bizarre things I think I've seen in a while. I think I will simply say, 
it's not one of Max's smartest moves um, because I think it's I think it's it's gonna stick with still definitely stick with Perez and he was such he was and is such a obliging teammate in many regards very keen to help the team because obviously they kind of like pulled him away from retirement mm-hmm. you know um so i don't know it just felt like there was nothing like okay let's say let's say even says now he says it's even stevens we're good now it's like okay i'm glad you're good but you've just like you've made it awkward for everybody in the canteen you've got you know you you were basically saying stuff that you were just sort of play like downbeating on your on horner and your engineer and you your mom's on instagram saying this about your teammate it's like it's crazy what do you guys think about this situation for me it's completely wild and i don't think anything good was ever going to come of pulling this stunt now and i don't understand why and Mm -hmm. it's it kind of is unfortunate because like he as other people have pointed out, other commentators, official pundits, not like amateurs like us, have pointed out it's almost like an open goal to being like even more of a hero, like even more of a champion, you know? Yeah, I've got the championship. I let my teammates through and I gave them some points. That kind of narrative. Um it's so easy. Not to interrupt Chris, but I want to make a very quick setting the same point. Then I'm going to let Chris make his point and I'm cu- going to come in with a final thought on the matter. Wow, this is complicated. So we're getting complicated. I, I just I want to set the scene. So okay. I, I want to cast our mind back to the, an earlier part of the season. Can't remember the exact race, but there was a race where Landon Norris's race engineer came on and asked him to, la- to let Daniel Ricciardo pass and Norris refused. Danny Rick couldn't make it past Lando Norris because although he had a little bit of pace that was a little bit faster, he wasn't fast enough to overtake on track. There have been times throughout the past two years where Sergio Perez has been asked to sort of, you know, hold up Hamilton, you know, that famous example, the Maxim Minister of Defence in Abu Dhabi. And that's been a great team player. And yes, that might have damaged... Uh, Chaco's race at that point, but you know, Chaco was still racing really hard. He did a fantastic job there. There's other times when he's told, don't fight Max, you know, don't put up too much resistance, just sort of let Max breeze past you. And I think that's the one where people sort of think, oh, he's not going to do that next year because this has happened. But ask yourself this question. Even if Chaco isn't going to let Max pass easily in those moments, does anyone truly believe that Max isn't going to be able to just get past him anyway, but the difference is going to be, instead of doing it in one lap because he doesn't put up any resistance, it's going to have to take you three laps. So, yes, it might, it will harm Max a little bit, but I don't think it's going to lead to a bit where Max is going to end up stuck behind Perry's race in, race out, and not able to get maximum points. Over to Chris. Uh, I told you already last summer, guys. Don't ask that again to me, okay? <laughs> Are we clear about that? I gave my reasons. Yeah. And I stand yeah. by it. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's... um. I take... Uh, David, I take your, your, your scene saying. I do. But I feel like the, the sort of, like, 
damage that was done was not really like it will translate as you mentioned to on track sort of potentially sort of difficulties with regards to I'm not gonna let him pass you know come closer you know a bit like Leclerc and Seb or whatever in Ferrari that kind of sort of like I'll let you pass eventually but not because I want to and not because I'm gonna make it easy that's now a given I would say in some regards it's more the fact that it's like that's almost expected in some degrees by racing drivers right that they, they, they sort of like they know that their teammate can be difficult and that's kind of allowed when your teammate's mum starts like shit posting yeah. on Instagram about you Ridiculous. and like when they when they when people start pushing this angle about you to try and get like a like a one up as to why you didn't give your teammate sixth place in a completely arbitrary and like for you meaningless Grand Prix when you were already like busted because your race was was ruined straight away. It's like that damage doesn't go into oh Checker's gonna be a bit difficult next season. That goes into like, what the fuck man? I'm a Max Verstappen fan. Why are you being a dick? Like, you know, aside from like aside from being like being a dick, you know, as as like a, a stone cold F one killer. Like you have to be a dick, right? You know, to some degree. You can't just be nice. Sure, I get it. You know? I understand that's code. I like my drivers nice, okay, but they never ever like make it that fast, you know? <laughs> like Albon's Albon, I, Albon <laughs> I love Albon, he's nice. But he couldn't beat Max because he's he's nice. He's, he's not too a nice. dick, right? But when Max does this, this is not like this is not like Max dick. This is like your dick dick. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense to anybody? Like this is not like your classic Max dick. This is you are just being a dick dick. Like this doesn't need to be well, like this. The issue is the issue is that none of us can can conceive a a reason why it had to happen this race other than just pettiness like a, like, yeah, like, like, like a petty grudge super super shady why so i just why? i want to i want to jump on this and i would say monaco's a smoke screen for a deeper issue that's going on underneath the surface yeah he bangs kelly and it's not that <laughs> Check I, don't, I, like I, 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 I don't want lawyers coming after me <laughs> a Formula One, an anonymous Formula One insider has said this. An this anonymous insider has up. told it's David. Not, I, pr- I promise it's not made up. It David Beckham himself. David it, has contacted. It's, it's from a reputable news source quoting an anonymous source within himself. the Formula One paddock that this was something that was going to happen at Mexico, but because Chaco had such a bad weekend, there was never the opportunity for it to happen on track. That Chaco's team, prior to the race weekend in Mexico, had approached Max's team and basically said, because it's the Mexican Grand Prix, when Max is leading the race, can he let Perry's through to win? That, that is the rumor that that question That's was. so cap. They would never do that. And surely. Like, I. I I've got no evidence to Who's your source? other than what I hear. It's an anonymous source. That he has an anonymous yeah, source in Red Bull. It's within. There's it's an, within. A, there's an anonymous source to like a, one of those like less than reputable Formula One news websites. So it's probably completely made up. But it does bring up an interesting point to think about, and that is 
is Max actually happy with Perez as his teammate in the sense of yes, Perez is good for Max winning the championship in that Perez doesn't take any points away from Max for Stappen, but does Max feel like he has to go and win races for Perez to have a shot in a race? Does Max feel like he has to do all the hard work and then give Perez a chance? Or is Max starting to think, actually, if I end up in a proper competitive fight with Ferrari next year, I need a driver who I know can beat Charles Leclerc because if for any reason I'm out of a race, I, I don't know. I just, part of me wonders, no, 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 no. I don't know, I don't know to, about to put Perry's off the seat. I'm just putting that out no, there. I, I, don't I, know why. I just wonder. It's crazy because I, I, I can see, like, I can, that's a very, like, out there angle, of course. It's but a, I think fringe, ult- a fringe ult- opinion, ultimate, David. Ultimately, like, he just had to just be, like, just, like, nice for, like, once. Just just this one little thing. This was, like, a tiny thing that was being asked of him, basically. With no, there was no downside for Max to to to, to not to do this, you know? Like, if, if he did this, he's helping the team. It doesn't hurt him in the championship. Like, he, his teammate thanks him, they're happy, and they go into the next season with a good relationship and whatever. And I do agree with your point that clearly it's not some random telemetry rumor from Monaco that is the cause here. Like, it can't be. Because that was, like, yeah, it was months ago. And even on the radio, he said, what did he say? He's like, I told you last summer, don't ever ask me this again. And I was like, last summer? Is he talking this summer or, like, I think he's talking number. this summer. I think he's talking think, this summer, right? I think I think that's a language thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. If it is, then again, if it is this Monaco thing, so, I just so what is it? That's the question. I still, I still can't understand why it particularly matters anymore now because, like, it's it's just there's just no incentive for you to to do it. Like, it's just so weird because. It's not if not only for yourself. Maybe maybe you're like like you're a bit of like a sadist or something. You're kinda like, oh I want I want it to be more challenging because it's too easy or something. I don't know. Some really like out there strat ways. Like I'm gonna get him riled up so that he, he he's better and we can actually race or something. <laughs> but it still creates a massive problem for your team, for your employers, for like your your engineers and mechanics that have to hang out and like look at each other and go, Do you know anything? I don't know. It's like it's it doesn't make sense, man. It's like, definitely personal. It's well, clearly, because you know what makes it personal is the fact that, like, you know, Max's mum was on social media talking about it because it's like, why, why does she like care so much about whatever about? And also, what she said wasn't anything to do with Monaco per se. It was more about Checo's character that's saying he's a cheater, which is. Now you're getting into like really sort of like out there territory. It's like, well, what mm-hmm. what did he do? Because Max would say the reason he's asked just all not to ask him anymore because he's stated the reasons to somebody. <laughs> to They've someone. had a conversation. <laughs> yeah, he will never tell you. Someone knows. If, say if no he, more. If he just said what the reason was, it would make it a lot easier for fans and the media to be like, oh, that's oh, the reason. Okay. <laughs> but he's gone like, I told you, don't ever ask me again. And then his mum starts shit posting on social media, and no one knows what's going on or why this why this is all being said. Say no more. <laughs> so, well, well, let's let's let's. I mean, just sort of move this towards the end of the podcast. So, henceforth, 
we're looking to Abu Dhabi then, one of the critical things we're looking towards is that the, the tie Leclerc and, and Perez uh, for second place as it stands. Stop, so, stop listening to the media. This, there's a tie between Leclerc and Perez, but we need to remember, folks, if Leclerc and Perez take themselves both out and George Russell wins the race the fastest lap, he will finish P2. That's the true yes. battle. Yes, yes. This is also the true battle. But no, in the context of you, in Russell the co- fanboy. In the context of my point, David, to to round out the episode in a in a flowing manner. Dad, don't it was that pull in this nonsense. It was that you pull me out I'll have to talk about Russell. You pull me anyway, No, don't so, talk about Russell. What I was saying was the the crux now here is we've got two teams, right? So Ferrari I think it's pretty clear that science has not got any crazy major grudges that we are aware of yet uh, with Charles, where he wouldn't, um, you know, help him secure second for the team uh, going into Abu Dhabi. And we have been told by Christian Horner that they have shaken hands, Perez and and Max, and Max is now going to help him out because the beef is over. It's done. I did that weird thing. And I feel good now. Okay. The question is now... <laughs> I've done it. I got out of my system. <laughs> the question is now, <laughs> as everything's burning around him, what, what does that really realistically mean in the race? And I guess it will depend on, as we'll all see, like where they qualify, like how the race pans out, but how much help is help? And will it even mean... Will it help things blow over that's that's the interesting thing about our Dhabi now is is the is the drama really quelled or is that sort of like a sort of a grudging help or like a, i'm not happy about it we'll see who knows um but certainly it has added a little bit of the pizzazz to the end of the season race that we were nominally not really gonna have because well the championship was over and you know the, yeah it was always coming down to this sort of second place race, so that's what we'll be focusing on um, in the in this next couple of days. So uh, we will probably give you a nice little update about that race uh, as we go into the end of November and December, and I'm sure we will conjure up some sort of season review uh, episode of some description. Now, that's going to be really hard for us to do because we are terrible, terrible podcasters for time management. Probably <laughs> terrible. Uh, it's terrible for our metrics for like the algorithm on Spotify, like showing this out to people. No one wants to see a three hour episode, but hey. Here we are. <laughs> uh, here we are, three hours in. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll sort of clear everything and see how it goes. And then uh, we'll, we'll give our, our, our discussions for, I guess, in the next season, next year, what we want to see. Um, yeah, and guys, anything else to add? I mean, notably as well, as said last race, sorry, David, uh, coming up, and uh, we are expecting potentially Nico Hulkenberg to be announced to the grid, like uh, tomorrow, perhaps, or something like that, which is, um, I have some thoughts about this, but it's for a post-confirmation podcast. Um, but yes, there's still a couple of things still that yet undone this season but they'll soon come to an end so on that note unless you guys have anything any final points um we will march on i hope uh, oh, that we, we managed to finish the season without a hamilton win
Oh, wow. That's my hope for the I last race. I think there's a fairly strong chance of that happening, I would say. I hope Vettel's the podium at Abu Dhabi, but I'm not hopeful because he's going to be driving a tractor. Yeah, I think podium is definitely on the Santa wish list for sure. Top 18 oh. for popping champagne, bro. <laughs> Top 19 for popping champagne. I would think for me, you know, him just not DNFing in some like unglorious fashion, like, I don't know, like the anti store. Oh, no, actually, my, my actual hope is donuts at the end. I want to see donuts again. Please give yes. me donuts. I just. I, I kind of have a gut feeling that Danny Rick's going to take him out. <laughs> and, no, yeah. don't say this. That would be poetic, to say the least. There'd be um, a certain poetic justice if, like, Danny Rick takes Vettel the teeth out of the same move. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, if... Let's see. If if the, the quality of the racing is anything like the weekend we just had, we're in for a shocker. So, there we go. But a shocker with different elements involved. Let's see. Let's see. We can only we can only discuss after it's happened. Let's all look forward to it. Thank you, guys and girls and everybody else in the umbrella for joining us and listening to our podcast. We're now going to go into the final round. We'll speak to you once that round's concluded. I don't have a date for you. Um, Some point some point soon. I also probably will post something on the Instagram before the, the end of the season. Potentially. <laughs> because I have not seen actually the following the account. Like people like that are F1 fans people following waiting. the account. Waiting. People have awoken and I'm getting a bit anxious about what I'm supposed to post. So I will figure that out for you guys. Just post um, the episode when it comes just out. Just post the episode. Post post a clip. Post a question. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining guys. We'll speak to you next time. Bye.